Today we're going to talk about the power of unbelief. I want to begin, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6 if you want to work your way over there, but I want to begin by asking you, what causes you to marvel? Maybe the ocean. Have you ever stood at the the ocean in the early morning and gazed out over the sea and the immensity of its scope and size and power and just marveled at the ocean? Maybe the Grand Canyon. Anyone been to the Grand Canyon? You gaze down at the depth of the enormity of God's creation. It's just mind-bogglingly huge. Volcanoes, massive mountain peaks. Even if you're more urban... Modern architectural marvels. You ever see hundred-story buildings and just look up and go, wow, how do people do that? Maybe a newborn child. You ever hold a newborn child and just marvel at what you're looking at? Life in a compact form with such intricacy, or even the eyeball, and ponder, how did God do this? What, What is involved in the intricacy of this thing being able to see. These are mind-bogglingly wonderful, marvelous truths. But the question is, what causes Jesus to marvel? Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever read Scripture and looked to see what does Jesus marvel at? I'll give you a hint. Jesus never went to the ocean and said, Wow, this is awesome. Do you know why? Because he made it. Jesus never went to a mountain and said, incredible. He said, no, if you have just a little faith, you can knock that puppy in the sea. That's a paraphrase. Jesus never marveled at skyscrapers. In fact, he actually had a problem with the first skyscraper, Tower of Babel. But there are two times in Scripture Jesus marvels. If you want to know what they are, you'll have to wait a minute. But we're going to look at them today. And the goal today is that we would not cause Jesus to marvel in the wrong way, but would cause him to marvel in the right way. Am I echoing behind me? Everybody look at Bob, it'll put pressure on him. (laughs) Mark chapter 6, verse 1 to 6. If the echo doesn't stop, I'll stomp on the microphone. He went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him, and on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him, and Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Let's do it this way. 6-1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. He went away from where? Anybody remember? Say Capernaum. Jim, great. Capernaum. Jim's, Jim's been paying attention. He was in Capernaum, and we've read about a lot that he did in Capernaum. Cast out demons, calmed a storm, healed a paralytic, raised the dead, healed disease. Jesus did a lot in Capernaum. So when he left Capernaum, the whole area had placed their faith in Christ for salvation, right? What do you mean? Well, 
thousands had placed their faith in Christ? No? Huh. I think my sermon, I'm, uh, what are we going to do? I'm with you. Why did no one place their faith in Jesus in large numbers? Now, we know some did. We got Jairus. We got the woman with a bleeding issue. But why did the multitudes listen? Jesus cast out demons, calmed a storm, healed a paralytic, raised the dead, healed people of disease, and a whole lot more stuff that we haven't even read about in Scripture. What's wrong? Unbelief. See, Jesus performed signs and wonders, but the people had such strong unbelief that they didn't trust in him. So he left never to come back and live there again. Do you know what it says in Matthew 11, 23? And you, Capernaum, you, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades for the mighty works done in you had been done in, bear with me here, you listening? Had been done in Sodom. That's crazy. It would have remained until this day. Jesus says, I perform signs and wonders of such immensity in, in Capernaum amongst you, and because of your unbelief, your, your amazing unbelief, it's going to be worse for you than Sodom. So he leaves there. And he came to his hometown. His hometown? Nazareth. Everybody loves their hometown. Everyone here likes to go back to their hometown. Who's that? Bruce Springsteen? This is my hometown. I mean, incredible voice, right? Shh, just nod your head. Well, Jesus wasn't so well received in Nazareth. He had been there before. If you go back to Luke 4, and you remember how they received him? They took him to the cliff and they were going to throw him off. We well, came back again. 25 miles from Capernaum, west and south a little bit, rocky hillside, 60 acres, 500 people, 30 years with the Lord Jesus living there. Chew on that. Jesus Christ lived in Nazareth for roughly 30 years. Day in, day out, among 500 people. So it's obvious everyone in Nazareth believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? At least his family believed in him because they lived with him. Right? No. With the exception of Mary, it is most probable that nobody in Nazareth believed in Jesus. How? Unbelief. So, on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. Why? It was a normal practice. Rabbis would come to town. They would teach. And then the people began to teach, and many who heard him were astonished. You know what the word astonished means? Ekpleso is the Greek. Remember that. It makes you sound so smart. If someone says, what? What is this music? Ekpleso, it's Greek. People are like, wow, you know Greek? It doesn't matter if you know what it means. Just use a Greek word. That's why, that's why preachers do it. Because you're like, dude knows Greek. He must be smart. Just believe it. The reason I bring it up is because it's really a neat word. Pleso means to hit, strike, bash, smash. Ek is a preposition of intensification. Ekpleso, blew their minds, is literally what it means. So Jesus taught... And he did all these things, and the people were astonished. Their minds, where did this man get these things? How is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? He blew their minds in Nazareth. He said, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? The brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us today, and they took offense at him. What? 
he blew their minds and they took offense at him. Why? We'll talk about that for a minute. Side note, when they say, isn't this the son of Mary? That is not a term of endearment. When they say, is this the son of Mary? Who is Jesus' father? It was God, get it? Yeah, but who is his earthly father, the man he lived with? Joseph. So the proper patriarchal culture response would be, is this not Jesus bar Joseph? Is this not Jesus, the son of the carpenter? They say, isn't this Mary's son? It's an innuendo. You know what it means? Dude got no daddy. This is the illegitimate kid. See that? Then they call him a carpenter. Why? It's menial labor. Carpenter, tecton, it's a woodworker or a stonemason. So when you meet Jesus, you find out he was a stonemason, don't freak out. It's still the right guy. Tecton, a carpenter, stonemason. It means a builder. You know Bob the builder? Bob the tecton? Bob the carpenter would be the same thing. So he blew their minds. And what do they do? They insult him. They say, isn't this an illegitimate kid? He's got ordinary siblings. He lives right here with us in an ordinary town. And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, even in his home, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. John 1.11. You know what John 1.11 says? Well, you can flip there if you don't, or you can believe me, and I encourage you to do both. It says, Jesus came into the world, into his own, and his own did not receive him. Nazareth is a microcosm of the world. Nazareth was his hometown. The world is his creation. And the world did not receive him, even though he was the one who made them. So a prophet is not with honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Confusing verse. It says, he could do no mighty works there. Anyone ever watch Superman? What caused Superman to lose his power? See, remember when he went to the diner? You remember that one? And that bully guy in the diner, he beat up Superman. I remember, I was furious. Because Superman, he was, I don't remember all the details, but he loved Lois Lane, and then they got the kryptonite. Next guy beat him up. You remember the end of the movie? He had his power back, and he came in, and the guy's sitting there. He walks out. You know that way he spun the stool? He threw him out the door? Well, this is Jesus' kryptonite. Amen? No. No. Why could Jesus not perform any mighty works? What was the purpose of the miracles? Signs of authentication. These people were so cast in unbelief, the signs wouldn't matter. Heck, even if a dead person would raise from the dead and speak to them, they would not believe. You ever hear that before? Huh? So Jesus can't perform miracles because of their unbelief, except he healed a few sick people. Why? I don't know. Maybe because his disciples were there. Maybe he wanted to show them that he hadn't lost his power. But verse 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Let's park there. He marveled because of their unbelief. Have you ever thought about the power of faith? Faith is powerful, no? Matthew, what is it, 17? If you have faith, like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here, right? But is there power in unbelief? It's a question. If, there, if there's not, I've kind of hit a dead end and we'll close. 
Is there power in unbelief? May I introduce you to a lady named Eve? Eve had a problem with unbelief. What was the result? This. Sin. Eve chose to not believe, and by the power of her unbelief, she cast the entire world and creation into sin. How about the people during the time of Noah? Was there power to their unbelief? What was the result of their unbelief? God flooded the entire earth. You're like, well, well, wait, wait, wait. What about Aaron? Remember the golden calf? Aaron's unbelief led to the death of 3,000 people approximately. Achan himself and his family. The Israelites, two million disqualified in the wilderness. Judas, eternity in hell. Unbelief is powerful, and it's so powerful, at times it causes our Lord to marvel. Two times in Scripture the Lord marvels. One of them is the unbelief in Nazareth. Do you know the other one? The faith of the centurion. Faith can cause our Lord to marvel. And unbelief can cause our Lord to marvel. He marveled at their unbelief. First and foremost, my friends, I do not want any of us to marvel the Lord with our unbelief. Amen? Look at what unbelief does to these people here. It blinds them to the obvious. The Lord Jesus lived with them for almost 30 years. He speaks to them. He blows their minds. And what do they say? He's an illegitimate, average, ordinary boondock guy. What? You ever share the gospel with someone and they just like, nope, can't believe it. We'll talk about that in a moment. Causes them to elevate the irrelevant. So Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God, proclaiming the gospel. What do they say? He's a carpenter. What the heck does that have to do with anything? You ever share the gospel and go down the rabbit hole run? Anyone ever? It's like people got drunk all of a sudden. It's like you're telling about Jesus. Like, yeah, well, well, I watched the Discovery Channel and they had a show and it was about rabbits. And, you know, rabbits are really good to eat. You're like... What? Do you want to smack them? I, no, I don't really ever want to smack anyone. I'm sanctified. They elevate the irrelevant. He's a tecton. He's a carpenter. His siblings are here. If I were Jesus, thank God I'm not, I'd be like, there'd be the lightning. I'd have enough. Three, they insult Jesus. They call him illegitimate. Do you ever have you share the gospel and then people get mad at you? Jesus says, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you. Now, wait. If what hates Jesus? The world. Which part of the world? Which? No. One hemisphere over the other? Africa over Asia? Stop it. America? All of it. The whole world hates, hates, hates Jesus because of their unbelief. And unbelief is so powerful, it prevents God from working. Wow. Unbelief can cause Jesus to marvel. I want to speak to two groups of people today. If you're not in those two groups, you can leave. Believers and unbelievers. Now, if you want to leave, go ahead. It's really awkward because I've just hit every person on the face of the earth. To the unbeliever, very simple. You don't need more evidence You need faith. 
Where do you get faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. Listen, you may have questions. You may have intellectual objections. I can relate. If you would give me two hours and commit to a couple days of reading and work, I could give you a watertight, argu- a watertight argument for the historical reliability of the scriptures. Okay? That's not hard. But unbelief is something I can't overcome. It's too powerful. So what you need to do is come to the Lord and cry out for faith. But the question is, what's standing in the way? Second Kings. Remember a guy by the name of Naaman? Second Kings 5, 1 through 14. Write that down and read it later. Make sure I'm accurate powerful guy in the Syrian army and he had a little problem. You know what his problem was? Leprosy. And leprosy was a big deal. It wasn't a matter of just putting on a little bit of ointment and getting better. It was a matter of you going to die as an outcast. And Naaman was going to die. He had a servant girl. She came from the Israelites. And she said to him, and I don't know why, what grace she shows, Naaman should go to the great prophet of the God Most High because he could heal him. The prophet's name was Elijah. And Naaman said, I'll go. So Naaman went out with his resume. You don't believe me? Read the, read the text. He brought his portfolio. He brought his letters of reference. He brought great riches. He was going to show how deserving he was of healing. And he came. It is Naaman for Elijah. Elisha, not Elijah. Elisha. You know who came to the door? Not Elisha, his servant. And the servant said, Elisha says, go take a bath in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be fine. And you know what Naaman did? He threw a hissy fit. A full-on hissy fit. I am a great man. I have letters of recommendation. I have a resume. I have a portfolio. I deserve respect. I'm not going to bathe. Anyone can bathe. I could bathe in a great river by my own home. You ever know the Bible was so exciting? It is. Naaman said... See you, dude. Well, Naaman had someone speak some sense into him. Long story short, Naaman got in the river. You know what Naaman's problem was? P-R-I-D-E. You know what that spells? Pride. P-R-I-D-E. Pride. Do you know where unbelief comes from? Pride. Do you know if you're an unbeliever why you don't believe in the Lord? It's not the evidence that you got pride. You say, who do you think you are calling me prideful? It's not me. It's the Lord's word I'm sharing with you. Now bear with me here. The reason Naaman didn't like the plan was because Naaman was better than other people. Naaman deserved respect. Naaman wanted to earn his salvation because he was a great and mighty man. And Elijah says, just take a bath in an ordinary river. He says, you're no better than anyone else. Do you see that? People hate Jesus because he says, you can't earn your salvation. You're just like everybody else. You're not so special. We want to earn our salvation because it gives us leverage over God. And the Lord says, you have no leverage over me. I have all the leverage. You cannot earn it, but I can give it. And we say, but that's too easy. Just trust and obey. No, I lived a good life. Stop it, pride. The reason people do not believe is because they are cast in pride. And the first thing you must do to come to faith in Christ is die to self, admit your pride, and confess that sin to the Lord Jesus. If you don't think you're prideful, it just exemplifies your pride. Do you see that? To the believers, the pride-free, pristine believers, hands up, yes? Pride-free, 
pristine. As believers, you are positionally perfect. What do I mean by that? When God looks at you, he doesn't go, ugh. Do you know that? When God looks at you, he doesn't say, oof, stinky. When God looks at you, he sees you as if you have lived the life of Christ. But practically, you are not yet perfect, in case you didn't know. Regeneration is when you come to saving faith. You're a new creation. You have eternal life with God forever. But look in the mirror, look in your heart, and you will see pride rears its ugly head. Yes? If it's just me, pray for me. Pride rears its ugly head. If you don't believe me, bump into my car. Stop in front of me in traffic. Do something to irritate me. I might not pray for you at first, but pray for me because I'm trying. Believers... We're still like Naaman. We're being perfected, but there is still sin that resides in us. You want to do a quick test? Please say yes, because it's going to be awkward if you don't. Do you ever struggle with unbelief in God? Those who have believed, who have trusted in the Lord Jesus for forgiveness, who have recognized, repented of, and are trying to die to their sin and live for Christ. Do you ever doubt God? First question. Do you ever doubt the goodness of God? Does anything ever happen in your life and you say, whoo, if God was good, he would not let this happen to me. Anyone ever have that thought? Or is it just me? The faithfulness of God. God will always keep his word, except in certain situations in my life when things seem a little bit out of control. Anyone can relate to that? Do you ever doubt the wisdom of God? You know you do. Do you ever not obey God because you think you know better than Him? Huh? Do you ever think how, uh, proper words, how ridiculous that is? Do you ever doubt the love of God? If God loved me, the, uh, anyone with me here? Do you ever doubt that God will provide for all of your needs? Do you ever doubt that God will guide you in the way you should go? Believers only, I'm asking this. Do you ever doubt? Do you want me to really mess with your head? Do you ever doubt in the power of the gospel? Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Romans 10. 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now watch this. Has anyone here ever not shared the gospel with someone because they thought they weren't ready for it? They couldn't handle it or it wouldn't work. Don't put your hand up because you all done it. Do you know why we do that? Because we doubt God. Now, maybe it's just me. I know it's not. I know it's most of you, hopefully all of you. I would love to pack this place out with people coming to faith and growing in their faith and going in their faith to proclaim the gospel and see God work. I would love it. I have weak faith, though. You have weak faith, though, but I have a strong Savior. We think. See, the folks been with God's grace a long time knew this one was coming if they're paying attention. We think moon bounces save people. If we put five moon bounces, a petting zoo, and a cash giveaway, we could pack this sucker out. You could write me a good check. I could load this out with three services, but I can't save people. Do you know that? 
We could have the greatest band play the music. We could have petting zoos and live llamas and elephant rides and fire-breathing dragons and elephants and bears. Oh, my. People would come, but they still would be stuck in their unbelief because that's just stuff. We say, listen, the, the gospel isn't going to save anyone. We're a highly educated, highly educated, highly motivated group of people in this area. We need something better than the gospel. Oh, do we? Do we really? Well, only if you don't believe God. See, I don't know how you came to faith. I actually do. But I came to faith by hearing the gospel. And if you truly have placed your faith in Christ, it was by hearing the gospel. And as a child of God, you're called to trust in God, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things you are called to do, which is a joy and a privilege, is to proclaim the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. And my friends, if we do that, we can cause the Lord to marvel at the faith he has grown in us as we walk in obedience to him. So how do we do this? Someone want to come up and finish this off? How? The how part? Try harder. Right? I want you to go home, and I want you to work yourself up and try harder. And then when you fail, try harder again. Then when you fail, try harder again. And eventually you'll fall apart, break down, never come back. But at least you tried hard for a period of time. Some will last a couple months. Some will last a couple years. But just try hard. Trust in yourself. Lean on your own strength. And you will do this. Amen? No, sir. So how do we do it? These things on my face, they're called glasses. Do you know why I wear glasses? Because it makes you look distinguished and intelligent. Why is that funny? It's so that I can see clearly. If I take them off, I can see, but you're all a blurry mess. But when I put them on, I can see how beautiful you all are. Well, when we walk through life as believers, we have eyes to see. The Lord has given us eyes to see. You know that? We sometimes choose not to wear our spiritual glasses. And we can cause the Lord to marvel at our unbelief. Our unbelief, I believe, is worse than the unbelief of the lost because they're dead in their sin. But he gave you eyes to see. And the solution for belief is to see better, to gaze upon Jesus better, to look upon him, to focus upon him, to rejoice in him, and in particular to rejoice in the love of God. What was that list of things I asked? The goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the wisdom of God, the provision of God, they all tie down to the love of God. Does God love you? I don't care if you're a believer or an unbeliever. He loves you. How do I know he loves you? Because he tells us in his word time and time again. But watch this. They accuse Jesus in verse 3 of being the son of Mary, a.k.a. fatherless. Do you know how close to accurate that really was? They called him fatherless. My friends, Jesus was in fact fatherless. Do you know where I'm going with this? You say, wait a minute. He's the son of God. What happened on the cross? What happened to our Lord Jesus on the cross? The father, as he was stretched out on the tree, nailed, took our sin upon him. The father turned relationally from our Lord and our Lord became fatherless. Practically speaking, fellowship with the Father was broken. Why? What did you have to offer Jesus? 
Well, maybe you're like Naaman, smart, powerful, you, you, you got all sorts of connections, good looks. Listen, if the Lord used me, the kingdom of God would grow. What do you have to offer Jesus? One thing. Do you know what it is? Your sin. Why would he die for you? Four letters starts with an L, ends in an E, O, V in the middle. We live in a strange culture where love is an emotion. People say, oh, I love my dog. Or my dog loves me. Your dog doesn't love you. Your dog's looking at you screwy because he can't think. We fall in love. We fall out of love. Listen, love is a choice. It's a decision. It's an action. It's not a cozy feeling. You can ask my wife. She truly does love me. Love is not an emotional, euphoric feeling that you fall in and out of. If that's what love was, the Lord Jesus wouldn't have died for you. Love is this, that God chose to die for us while we were still sinners. The Lord Jesus Christ decided that he would die for us to show his love for us, to reconcile us to himself, for himself, and from himself. Why? Because he so chose. He loves you. Now, if he loves you to the extent that he would become fatherless, what do we have as a reason to doubt in his faithfulness or goodness or provision or power? All we need, we have in Christ Jesus. Are you tracking with me? As we go through life, God, life is out of control. The storms are raging. I'm going to die. What do I do? You know what the answer is? God says we think, try harder. No. Remember where we were last time? Talitha kumi, a tender, compassionate God. He says, don't try harder. Look at me, not me. Look Look at me, God says. Look at me upon the cross. Look at me raised from the dead. Look at me, the great I am. Look at me, the creator of all things. Look at the faithfulness I have shown through, your, through my word. Look at the faithfulness I have shown through your life. Look upon reality and trust in me. Do not be cast in unbelief, but marvel in the reality of who I am and who I have made you through me. Do you see that? The scripture said, if God is for us, who can be against us? I'm going to do an on-the-fly thing here, so bear with me. Psalm 118. You know, we are called to marvel at some things. Go to verse 19. Psalm 118. Open to me gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them, and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me. And become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Do you see the next verse? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What should we marvel at? Friends, the Lord Jesus calls us to marvel at what he has done in saving us. And as we marvel in that and walk in obedience that comes from a right understanding of that, we will cause the Lord to marvel at our faith. He's not looking at us going, wow, that's really impressive. No, it is bringing glory to him because our faith is a gift that comes through him. 
unbelief is powerful. Unbelief was powerful in Eve, in Achan, in the Israelites, in Aaron, in the people in the time of Noah, in our lives too. Listen closely here. When we walk in unbelief, we neuter the power of God to work in and through us. We don't take his power away. He just simply can't work through our unbelief. But if we will believe in him, oh, how the Lord could work. If we would trust in him, if we would proclaim his excellencies, if we would proclaim the gospel, what might happen? Well, I don't know, but I'd like to find out. Would you like to join me? We walk in obedience, not as individual sheep bleeding on our own. Do you know what sheep do by themselves? They flop and they become cast. And if you want to know what it means to be a cast sheep, ask one of my kids. It has to do with gas and sheep breaking wind. And that's what we look like as individual believers. Flopped upside down, bloated and ineffective. But as we walk in the Lord's will, as we love one another as Christ loved us, remember what love means. It doesn't mean I like how you make me feel. Hmm. It means I am committed to doing what is best for you no matter the cost. As we trust in the Lord, as we love one another, how might the Lord work through us? Might we, my friends, be a church that causes the Lord to marvel? Well, it's not a matter of thinking. It's a matter of knowing. It's not a matter of trying harder. It's a matter of looking at Christ more fully. God himself took on flesh and became one of us because we were dead in our sins and cast permanently unbelief. And he came and lived the perfect life we couldn't, died the death we deserved, and rose from the dead so that we could believe in him and have eternal life. I guarantee you that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us because that is his promise. I guarantee you that no matter what is going on in your life, God will use for your good and his glory. I guarantee you that you will never go wrong trusting in Christ. But it's hard. But our Savior is more powerful than our unbelief. To the unbeliever, admit your pride. Confess it to God. Cry out to him for faith. If you seek him, you will find him. If there's someone here who actually has questions... Do not hesitate to ask me in any setting or capacity. I will walk alongside you as long as you will walk to see and examine the evidence. To the believers, recognize we still struggle with pride. Confess your sin to Christ. Not so that you don't lose your salvation, you can't. But so that you can enjoy the fullness of life in Christ. Unbelief is a powerful thing. But belief is far more powerful. My prayer and my hope is that we individually and collectively as a church would be a body of believers who cause the Lord to marvel and bring much glory to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for the fact that our salvation rests not in us, but in you. We confess, Lord Jesus, that we have not carried ourselves in a manner worthy of the calling entrusted to us at all times. We confess, Lord Jesus, that we look upon you and call you liar at times by how we live. Lord, we confess that we know you are king intellectually, but at times try to remove you from the throne. 
Lord Jesus, we rejoice that we are forgiven as believers, but we pray we might not live in such insanity. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to believe. We believe, help our unbelief, we cry out. Lord Jesus, work powerfully through us. Help us to focus upon you, to gaze upon your beauty, to marvel at the love you have shown for us. And by your strength, through your grace, in your mercy, allow us to live as a people who do what we could never do on our own, but what we could only do through you, Lord Jesus. When we are weak, then we understand how to be strong. Lord Jesus, we are weak in the flesh. We are strong in you, Lord Jesus. Help us to be a people who trust in you. Grow us into a people like the centurion who have a faith that make you marvel. And may you be glorified and magnified as we trust in you, walk in your power, and gaze upon you more clearly. It is in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.